Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pie Before Dinner. I'm Dr. Lou, your favorite mathematics advisor and social media guru. I have another exciting episode about mathematics, the heart of mathematics, coming right at you. Join in, take a listen, let me know what you think. Today we will talk about what it means to be gifted for mathematics. We'll talk myths, we'll talk some facts, things that can be debated, but most importantly, we'll share some keys to teaching all children for giftedness in mathematics. Tune in. What does it mean to be gifted in mathematics? When I think about this question, you know, I've been labeled gifted in mathematics and I've heard these words you know pretty much uh, for a great deal of time in my own career as a, you know, as a student as a math professional as a teacher as a professor professor I'm sorry as a, as a writer and um, you know I begin for the last several years began to uh, kind of you know take a real closer look at what it means to be called gifted and what it means to be gifted and I do that for several reasons. Well, for one, some of my biggest arguments with people, particularly with sometimes with parents, sometimes with teachers, happens around mathematical giftedness. And, I'm, and I just find it so amazing how difficult it is for people to believe that all children can be gifted in mathematics. There's some very, uh, I guess, cemented beliefs, and a lot of them come from, from our own histories, our own ideas about how we felt about giftedness as we were growing up. Well, just think about it for yourself. Think about it. When was the first time someone told you you were really good at mathematics? Or, or on the other hand, did you hear that or did you hear something else? And when did that happen? And think about the circumstances. Think about everything surrounding it. Just close your eyes for a minute and think about that. Now, your story probably involves some adult. And you probably can remember that story very, very clearly. Details, the person, what they look like, the words, and the circumstances, right? Most people that I talk to carry those stories with them for a very long time. I remember uh, in my apartment had the cable guy coming in to install cable and telling me this story about how he um, was forced to uh, stop doing mathematics and go into some other job. Heard the same stories from my Uber driver, same stories from my my landlord who um, was a mathematics student, mathematics major, and he just got tired and frustrated, and he left the field as well. I have stories of friends who start out in mathematics, and then they have these episodes where someone tells them about their mathematical ability, or they have episodes where they don't do as well, and it becomes a turning point, and they turned away from mathematics, they give up on mathematics, or mathematics uh, more precisely gives up on them. So in, in my own history of, of mathematics, when I think about my shaping as a young person, I remember certain landmarks. One landmark, I was about four or five years old, and I, I've told, I tell this story all the time because it's so important. I remember coming home uh, Christmas break and getting gifts, a mathematics workbook. I was about five years old, 
and I went and worked through that math book um, the entire Christmas break. And I remember what was in it. It was activities, right? And activities involved cutting, tracing, and shaping, and making of shapes. And, and I attributed that to a mathematical activity, right? And I was, I was given something and allowed to just go ahead and do it. My, the second landmark happens around grade three, primary four, where I remember our, our classroom, our math classrooms, where we were using these basal textbooks. We call them basal textbooks because the textbooks were full of problems, problem sets, 40, 50 problem sets, and they had different colors. Uh, if you're looking for titles, there's one company, Scott Forsum, for example, was a company that made these math books. I've, I've gone online and actually found what they look like. They're different colors, and from one set of problems to another set of problems to another set of problems to another set of problems. And in my grade three class, we were typically in math just given problems to do. Um, I don't remember a whole lot of instruction. I'll say that for another time, but I, I don't, a side question would be, when do you remember being taught mathematics? And I actually don't remember being taught mathematics into high school. And then if I ask myself, So, I in in that grade three classroom, we were given activities, and so I was allowed to do mathematics and just go from book to book to book to problem to problem to problem. Uh, there weren't really major checks for understanding, but I could do stuff, and stuff I didn't like, I didn't know, I just skipped, but I kept going and going and going. And one of the thing markers for me were, was that there were times when I was one and two books ahead of the rest of the class, and it was a game to me. To associated mathematical giftedness and, and being good at it with speed, right? <laughs> you know, you're young, you, you, you think of it as a, a kind of competition, right? So you want to be the first one to finish your work. Um, you know, but that emphasis on speed and the idea that giftedness is connected to speed continued probably throughout my high school and even after I'd finished high school. Um, going on through high school, I graduated valedictorian. I remember applying for a bank job as an intern and being given a time test, right? A time test where I had to do 40 problems or so and within five minutes. 40, I'm talking problems like eight times five, nine times six. And it was this idea that if you got stuff right really, really quickly, then you were really, really smart. Um, teachers today, when you ask them, well, what does it mean to, to be gifted or special in math, they think about this child got it, you know, when children get things, get it quickly. And it, it also, lay, think about that some more. It's affirming, isn't it? It's affirming when you're doing all of this hard work as a teacher and someone gets it. And so you, it's easy to associate quickness, getting things with, with being gifted in math. And I think in my early years, I was labeled, easily labeled gifted uh, because of ability to get things quickly. Um, you know, I was also very curious and very active and very hyperactive even. Um, but th those are some of the things, right? I, I, whatever was being put in front of me, I was getting. Um, so moving on, I mean, it didn't last. When I went to college, I, I finished my last math course was Algebra 2, Trig. And so I went to college to study, guess what? Accounting. Nope, not math. 
people in my country and from Bermuda people in my country said to me at the time, you should study accounting because that's what we need. We need accountants. So I went to study accounting. Um, before the school year, maybe just after the school year started, I had switched to mathematics. Why? Because that was my, my love. In fact, I didn't really switch. I added math as a second major. Now, if you know anything about college math, college courses, period, that's not a good, that's not a, those two courses, those two programs of study don't fit neatly together, logistically. That is, the courses, there are no overlapping courses. Um, and so the first math course was Calculus 1. So I jumped from Algebra 2 because, to into Calculus 1 because the math cohort was taking Calculus 1. And so... Another thing I didn't know is that you don't jump from Algebra 2 to Calculus 1. There's typically classes like um, Pre-Calc, there's Discrete Math, there's some courses in between that help to prepare you. Even if a, even AP Calculus, they meant to prepare you for, for other study of Calculus at the college level and so forth. But I jumped into Calc 1 because all of the math majors were on it. And I was struggling for the first time. Um, it required more of, it required me to, to show my working, show my thinking, to answer questions more deeply, to do more proving, to do more reasoning, more problem solving than I'd ever done in my career before. And I began to struggle. I, I'm talking about I was probably in danger of failing out. So I went to my math teacher, math professor at the time, tall, white guy, about 6'4", um, and um, I said, hey, listen, sir, I'm, I'm failing. I'm, I'm not doing well. I need some help. Can you help me? Because, you know, I was committed to math. I loved math. It was my first love around schooling and was committed to it. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, look, um, I could help you, but maybe you're just not cut up for this. Maybe you should choose something different. And so I ran back to my dorm in our little room and I locked, ran into the bathroom and cried because he had told me in one fell swoop that I was not cut out for this thing called mathematics. And that was devastating to me. Devastating to me. Well, it didn't end there. Then a few years later, before I left college, um, maybe my senior year, junior and senior year of college, by that time there were only four of us left in the cohort. Um, I had met this guy, Dr. Dunyon, and he, he was he inspired me to do math. He, 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 he did a few things, that I, I'll talk about that later, but he did a few things that really inspired me to do mathematics. So that's my short little experience with, with being, with I guess from K through college and, and the idea, the notion of giftedness. The, the notion of giftedness and the notion of being gifted in mathematics, at least in my own career, was largely shaped by the adults. It was shaped by what they put in front of me and it was shaped by what they said to me, for good or for bad. And so that leads me back to my big question to you. This, our centering question is, what? when was the first time someone told you about yourself, told you about your giftedness in mathematics, your your ability to do it, or inability to do it. And what do you think about it? And, and so I want to talk later on in the program about, if these are our narratives, what it means for parents to shift the narrative. Children who are gifted for mathematics should be able to do math at or above grade level. What do you think about that? Is that a myth? Is that a fact? Or is that debatable? 
I hear your answer. I hear your answer. Hmm. Well, that's a myth, right? And we talked about this in our um, in giving one of our hot takes. We talked about that because we said that that's debatable because there's no such thing as doing mathematics on a particular grade level. Math is just not organized like that. And so, uh, and even if you look at the standardized tests that measure um, certain things in math or grade level, that's based on a particular achievement level. So it's not a test of ability. It's a test simply of mathematics achievement. And so we've got to be careful about how we use these tests to label children. And what is a test of achievement? Achievement is defined as, as this kind of outcome of intended or given instruction, right? And so it's not ability. And sometimes we confuse math ability, hence with math achievement. And you could literally not achieve in mathematics because you haven't had the experiences. Not because you aren't gifted for mathematics and not because you don't have the ability. And so having to, to talking with parents about that is so critical in dispelling what it means to be gifted in mathematics and what it means to do mathematics. So I say more about that on our Wednesday show, but the fact of the matter is math isn't organized like that. There's no scientific basis for grade level. And children who are gifted in mathematics might be found at all different grade levels. And so the implications for teaching then is that all children are gifted. All children are capable of doing this, doing mathematics regardless of the grade level. So the first statement was a myth. And the reason was that there's no scientific basis for mathematical intelligence that can pre be predicted by some sort of test. I, I know that sounds counterproductive to most people, but it's, it really gives you, it should give you pause to how we judge how someone is gifted based on testing. All right, and so having said that, I want to ask another question then. Second one would be, second statement that is, would be the ability to do math is greatly influenced by heredity. And so that's another testing question, isn't it? Because we, we think about intelligence tests. And there just isn't a real intelligence test for math. There's, again, these, there are tests that measure intended instruction. So they really measure how people have experienced certain things up to a certain point. And if you don't have the experiences, you may not do well on these tests. But that is still not an indicator of your ability. And so if anything, if and again, if anything, this... Uh, corona epidemic has taught us is that curves are just models of stuff right and so we can flatten things and so the bell curve was a curve and it was a curve based around intelligence and it can be flattened right and so intelligence is not a sticky wicket it's not something that once determined by a particular test if if you even buy into that you know stay you know it's something that we can make a stand on i know that there are things on the internet that promise to do that but it's just not not true. If mathematics is one, not scientifically organized in by grade level, which is not. It's really, it's really great. Grade level distinctions are something we do in schooling to organize people developmentally in year levels. But mathematics is not organized like that. I mean, when you look at 3D shapes, you can study 3D shapes all throughout the spectrum of one's one's life. Um, when we looked at geometric thinking in episode three, we talked about how geometric thinking progresses by experience and not necessarily maturity. And yet this question says it's influenced by heredity. 
So one, we have not located a math gene. There's no such thing as a math gene. There's no such thing as my mom was good in math, so therefore I am good in math. And so it's not influenced by heredity, but it is influenced by parental engineering, in my view. So, so I believe not only is mathematics not influenced by heredity, mathematics is, is though, com- mathematical giftedness is completely, can be completely engineered by parents. And what I mean by that, if we can give young people experiences to high quality mathematics and fight for that and ensure that they get high quality instructions every day, all the time, and fun and engaging and empowering and relevant and meaningful, and we treat children as intellectual, social, cultural beings in the way they need to be treated, then we can definitely um, start to reclassify what we think about them as being gifted in mathematics. The third statement I shared is that mathematics is a universal language and is the same everywhere. And that, quite frankly, is also false. So I don't want to get into so much into that. That's a whole uh, lesson and study. There are languages. We do experience mathematics through the written language, right? We experience it in the written language. So in the sense that we experience, one of the ways we experience it is through the written language. To the extent that people share that, it becomes a shared experience. And to the extent that that's universal, uh, it depends, right? Because even in language, there's not universal acknowledgement of certain concepts and ideas. So things like love, things like there are certain ideas that are expressed in multiple ways in one language and hard and difficult to express in another language, right? Um, and so you can look at the same phenomenon phenomena and it be expressed differently in one language and in multiple ways in another and vice versa. So even in that regard, the university of mathematics is is questionable. In, in fact, the subject is, isn't even organized in universal ways. I mean, there is no universal classification of mathematics that makes, fits everything neatly together. There is no theory of everything. Science, if you just looked it up, scientists are searching for a theory of everything. There's just no theory of, every, of everything and certainly not around mathematics. But if you think of mathematics differently, if you, if you adopt a different definition and you think that mathematics is a dynamic way to model the world around us, then you can see how it can be so diverse and different because we think about the world differently. And so those are three kinds of statements that I hear all the time, but they're just myths, at best debatable. Um, giftedness doesn't come from hereditary. It's not embedded in somebody's grade level. It's not language of math but from one of the questions where does giftedness come from it can be completely engineered in my view and just after this I'm going to give you some keys as to how it is engineered and we're back how can I teach giftedness to all kids and all children well the first thing I'll give three quick takeaways the first thing that I want all parents and teachers to think about is, and each of these are going to start with own, ownership. One is own the label. Take take back control of the label. Um, and I particularly mean how giftedness is identified, right, and how children come to be labeled. And on the Wednesday show, we went into this when we looked at the National 
Association for Giftedness website online. Um, when you look at how giftedness is identified, it, a lot of it starts with things like observation. It's, it's totally, it, it's almost all subjective. Subjective in the sense that it starts with human observations of something or people's experiences with a human experience. And so that's subjective in nature. Not only is that subjective, that's totally transformable. We transformable. We can transform human experiences. We can transform um, what we give children in school, right? And then that transforms, again, what we observe. We can, if we make tasks engaging and challenging and, and relevant and empowering, we can transform the experience. Um, secondly, when we even look, when, even when we look at testing, testing itself has these subjective dimensions to it, right? These, you know, why do you test these four questions versus these four questions? And each question has equal weighting. Um, are we saying that these are equal things? And so there are subjectivity even in the most objective of tests, right? And so it's this idea, and I'm going to say it, that giftedness in mathematics is is a subjective domain. And if, it, if you think that it's subjective domain, then you can label, you can really rethink it and find giftedness in all children. All God's children are gifted is what I say. And so you can take back control of the identity. Take, own, own the label. Own the label. Start with this fact that all children are gifted. Reject your stories even when people told you you weren't. So take it back. Re-own the label. Re-own it, re-own it, re-own it. So that's the first one, own the label. The second thing you can do in second key to teaching gifted children is own the experience own the experiences uh you do that now i'll talk more about this some in, in, as in other episodes but tasks task selection task building is so important to me what you put in front of children matters right and what you do with what you put in front of children matters that is the product and the process matters um less is more in general parents should encourage teachers you should encourage struggle encourage cognitive productive struggle um, sometimes we do too much parenting and we try to limit the struggle we don't want them to fall we don't want them to struggle so we end up telling 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 that's the exact opposite way to build giftedness in mathematics so you want to build it by encouraging productive struggle and encouraging ways for them to build what we call schemata uh, these platforms of thought that they can figure things out um, relate it relate stuff start it close to home make stuff more interesting challenge teachers to give them more interesting stuff more relevant stuff also engaging stuff also empowering there's a difference between engagement and empowering and then let go of the experience when I see parents teaching children and teachers teaching children they control so much of the experience let go pull back and interrogate in the next episode we talk about that we talk about the four L's of launching and let going and linking things together and looping things together and so the last thing you can do, so you can own the label, one, you can own the experiences, take them back. Um, when I say own the experiences, favor experiences that favor problem solving, that favor cultural relevance, that favor empowerment. Um, and then the third thing you can do is create a pipeline. Uh, create a pipeline that has the very, um, that focuses on building a career for your young people from grades K to 12. That's something I'll also take apart in other episodes. But stop thinking about one-off programs. Stop just thinking just about a tutor, just about an assignment. Build a pipeline, a pipeline of experiences and activities and courses and camps um, 
with really defined objectives that to help you put really defined objectives and outcomes from K through to 12 that give them a real head start in mathematics. Well, that's all I have for today. I'm going to stop there. I've shared with you some myths, some facts, um, some real strategies, and some keys to teaching gifted. And uh, hopefully you've, you've, you've uh, learned about where giftedness comes from, what it is, and what it isn't. joining another episode of pie before dinner with dr lou if you want to learn more about what we were talking about today please go to my website loumatthews.live forward slash pie before dinner and you can simply listen to it right from the website <laughs>